Okay, let's just uh, bow our hearts just one more time as we come before the word together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege that we have to be able to come together as a body of believers and sit at the, the feet of your word. Lord, as we come humbly, Lord, we want to learn more of you. We want to understand more of your plan and your purpose, Lord, and these promises that we've been just scratching the surfaces, Lord. Help us to really comprehend, Lord, just the magnitude of what it is you've given us here. Uh, Father, speak to us this morning, individually and as a fellowship, we pray. Lead us further on in our walk with you. Lord, we thank you that our journey home will lead us to an eternity with you. But Father, you've given us these promises to help us along that route. Lord, just bless us this morning. I pray you take my words, Lord, and just do away with my thoughts, Lord, and just may it be of you, we pray. Uh, Lord, speak to us now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this originally started off as just a one-week study, just to look at the promises of God. It's something that I wanted to do for a while. And uh, we've seen as we've gone through, just highlighting the last couple of weeks, uh, 7,474 promises of God in the Bible by one reckoning. Um, Whatever way you count these, there are a multitude of promises that God has given us in his word. And it's one of those areas that probably unless you do a study like we're doing, you don't tend to look at them in in the kind of collective sense of what God has given us here and the reason and the purpose for them. But we're told, and we've seen already a number of times a verse in Second Peter, that he speaks there of the exceeding great and precious promises. You know, it's not just we've been given the odd promise here, but these are promises that have real power and import, or should have in our lives. Of course, we've seen that they're unshakable and secure, because it's God who's promising. You know, we spent the first three weeks of this year looking at the love of God. You know, the love that we should have for God and then the love that we should have one for another. And we realize just how much God loves us. And it's evidenced again when we look at these promises and we see what God has given us. And again, the the breadth of these promises is just amazing. We're told that they're to be an anchor for the soul. That's one of the reasons that we have these promises. You know, and it's not just the, the odd few promises here and there. This is a deliberate and intentional work of God to give us these promises that they would be an anchor for the soul. Something to hold us firm through the storms of life. And as we've seen already, they drive us to become more godly. And I think I, I, that word drive, I, I had something else in there when I was doing that. It's the last night I looked at this and I thought, no, they do drive us. It's like uh, you know, almost... You know, imagine kind of cattle being driven and so on. Well, these promises are like that. They're kind of almost nipping at our heels, reminding us of God's goodness, of God's grace, of all that God has done, all that God will do, of the security and the comfort we have in God and should be able to have in every situation. And that they give us focus and clarity so that we don't become entangled with the affairs of this life. You know, the writer to the Hebrews speaks of the sin which so easily entangles. Well, we've got a a counter to that. And it's God's word and the promises contained therein. And these promises are such that they stop us getting caught up with things because we've got something to hold on to, something to stop us drifting away. Now, we've seen over the last couple of weeks, we've got two distinct categories when we talk about the promises of God. The first of those are the unconditional promises. And this is what we, we spent our time really looking at last week. These are, in a sense, the covenant promises that God has given. They're centered around God's plan of redemption. 
And that's the significant thing. You know, and these are my labels I'm putting on here, you know, unconditional promises. I mean, you may categorize them in different ways, but ultimately we have a group of promises that are all centered around God's plan of redemption. And it's all about God. It's not about us. It's not about our ability to keep or fulfill them. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10 speak about the mystery of God's will. Ultimately, the, the summation of that is that at the end of time, at the end of the days, um, God will bring together in one all things in Christ Jesus. And that's been God's plan right from the start. And really that plan we see starting again, we've seen with the Garden of Eden, and with the fall of man, the promise of the seed, all the way through then. Uh, the Old Testament leading to the time where Abraham is called, the nation, and then the Davidic uh, uh, kingdom, David's kingdom, and so on, leading to the time of Christ, and then the establishment of the church, and then the promises for the church, and then ultimately into an eternity, the new Jerusalem. Those are the promises that we're speaking of when we speak about these covenant promises, all centered around the mystery of God's will. And it's important to make the distinction that it's not dependent on our ability. These promises, it's not about you and I. It's not about whether we can keep or do something or not. Um, You can't lose, forfeit, or be disinherited from these promises. Now, there are things, of course, that we can lose and forfeit. There's rewards, and we spent a lot of last year, as we went through our journey through the Bible, a number of times that theme came back, that we can lose things. There are um, the possibility we can lay up treasures in heaven, and then we could forfeit some of those things by the way that we live here and now. But we're not talking about the rewards. We're talking about the promises of God, God's uh, eternal covenants that he's made, um, which we cannot break, because it's dependent upon God, not on us. You see, we automatically become a beneficiary of these promises as a believer. You don't have to earn them, you don't have to do anything. Uh, And interesting enough, if you think about it, it's irrespective of faith. Now, what I mean by that is they're not dependent on you believing them. You see, whether you believe in the resurrection or not, for example, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in a resurrection. Does it change the fact? No. If you don't believe that there's going to be a new Jerusalem, And of course there will be some people within the church who have different views when it comes to the end times. Does it change the fact? No. So these promises, it's not about whether you believe them or not. This is something that God has said he's going to do. Now again, we become beneficiaries of these when we enter into that covenant agreement with God ourselves. When we are brought into that family, grafted in to this family that God had established through Abraham and those that believe on the basis of faith. So... Of course, our entrance into these promises is of faith, but in the sense that we don't uh, receive or inherit these promises on the basis of faith. Once we are a believer, they are there, whether we like it or not, and I'm sure we do like it. So So the second category then, and this is what we're going to look at this morning, are conditional promises. And in, in one sense, probably conditional is maybe not the best of titles, but I can't think of another. If you can think of one, then by all means let me know. But what we're talking about here are Promises of God that are absolutely certain because they're promises of God. So don't think that these are any less certain um, promises. These are promises that are absolutely rock solid because they come from God. But the point is that these ones are not automatic. And that's the real distinction between these two different groups of promises that we find in God's word. They are freely available to all believers. But only by faith... Can they be actuated? You see, that first group of promises we were just talking about a moment ago, as I said, it's not, you don't receive them in a sense on the basis of faith. It's something that God has said he's going to do. These promises, though, that we can look at this morning, it's on the basis of faith 
that you receive them and benefit from them. So a child of God then can forfeit or fail to be a beneficiary of these promises through doubt or unbelief. Now, a great scripture that kind of leads us into this study this morning then is in James chapter 1. And we read there, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given to him. So there we have a promise. Okay, a promise of God. If you lack wisdom, and it's not specific about any specific area, in, in anything, if you lack wisdom, if you need wisdom, you're told that you can ask God, and God will give you wisdom. What a great promise that is. I mean, we could spend some time dwelling on that and just thinking about the magnitude of that, that God, the creator of all things, who knows everything, has promised to give you wisdom if you ask him. But then, look what we're told. We said, but let him ask in faith. So now we see straight away faith comes into this. Let him ask you faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. So, as we've got there, that note at the bottom, the promise of wisdom being given is dependent on faith that God will give it. We need to be careful because some people have faith in faith. That doesn't work. You've got a faith in God. Okay, so if our faith is just in something that might happen, yeah, it's got to be faith in God. That's where our faith is. That's why we can have a confidence. So the promise that we can have wisdom is dependent on our believing when we ask God for it. Now, we've got another example. We could look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, a scripture that's probably well known to most of us. Trust in the Lord. With all thy heart, lean not on thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he should direct thy paths. Look at the promise we've got there, that God will promise to direct your paths in life. What a great promise. You know, how many people in the world would love to have that kind of comfort and security? You know, through life, through all the challenges and the difficulties we face, to know that God himself has promised to direct your paths. You know, you've all had moments when you've been out in the car and maybe you've got lost and at that point your wife is asking you to speak to somebody and ask for directions and you're saying, no, 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 it's all right. I'm sure it's just down here. You know, if we had that confidence before we came to know the Lord, how different would it have made our lives? But now that we know the Lord, we've got this great confidence that God will direct our paths. But look, it's conditional because we're told we have to trust in the Lord with all our heart. We mustn't lean on our own understanding. So this great promise that God has given is on the basis of our faith in him, that we trust him. If we trust God with all our heart, we don't rely on the things that we think we know, and in all our ways we acknowledge him, we're told he will direct our paths. So in a sense it's conditional, but the whole basis of this is faith. If we have faith in God and trust in him, then we're given this assurance and we become a beneficiary of this promise. Another wonderful promise we have in Deuteronomy 33, 27. The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. What a wonderful, comforting verse that is. But you see, this is only a comfort to the soul as long as we have faith to believe it. You see, if you don't believe that, that doesn't mean anything to you. But if you believe that God is the eternal God. If you believe that he really truly is your refuge, a place where you can flee for safety. And we believe that underneath are the everlasting arms. 
What a great comfort that is. You see, the promises of God, these ones we're looking at this morning, we receive on the basis of faith. If we don't have the faith to believe them, they won't help us. We need to trust in God and believe God when he says these things. What about Philippians 4.19? But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Do we believe this? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God will supply all your need, not your greed, but all your need, according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus? Do you believe that when you're made redundant? Do you believe that when something goes drastically wrong in your life that you planned? You know, do you believe then that God will supply all your need? That God loves you that much? So again, another promise that is there for us. A wonderful promise that God, who is limitless in resource, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, that God has promised to supply all your need. Jared mentioned Bill Gates earlier. I forget that number of pennies that he has in his bank account, whatever it was, but you know he's got enough to make all of us millionaires and it wouldn't even affect him. But we've got something better than that. We've got God who's offering, who's telling us he'll supply all of our need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Again, it's a wonderful promise, but unless we've got the faith, it doesn't have any power or effect in our lives. Matthew, we have this great passage. Matthew 6, picking up verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, look at the birds. For they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature? And why take you thought for raiment, for your clothes? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And then we have this great promise. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not, not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? You see, Jesus here gives us his wonderful promise that God will provide all our need. That God will clothe us. He'll give us that which is necessary. But he links it straight away to faith. Therefore, taking no thought, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. (laughs) We had a situation last night with Marla. She's got a little thing at the moment when she goes to bed that she wants to then, we kind of put her to bed, we go downstairs, and all of a sudden we hear a little pit of patch of feet on the stair, it was on the floorboards upstairs. And she's out of bed, she's checking to see whether it's raining, or she's checking to see whether the window's shut, and all those kind of things. And, you know, there's this kind of like, just in case somebody breaks in, or this kind of. So we had a little chat with her last night. I said, Look, Marla, don't you think mummy and daddy do those things? You know, we check to make sure the doors are shut and the windows are shut. You know, as Marla's father, I wouldn't put her in a position where she didn't have the protection necessary for her. Well, think about God and you. 
You see, we talked already, we spent a week looking at God's incredible love for us. God loves you so much. And so we have this great promise that God will clothe you. God will give you that which you need. But again, you've got to have the faith. This portion just concludes. And really we're given the condition in a sense. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. What a great promise. God's going to add all these things. All the things that we worry about. All the things that we're concerned about in life. God says, don't worry about it. I will add those things to you. Your job, seek first the kingdom. I love this comment by Oswald Chambers. He says, quoting what we just looked at, Take no thought for your life. Be careful about one thing only, says our Lord, your relationship to me. Common sense shouts loud and says, That's absurd. I must consider how I'm going to live. I must consider what I'm going to eat and drink. Jesus says, You must not. Beware of allowing the thoughts that this statement is made by one who does not understand our particular circumstances. Jesus Christ knows our circumstances better than we do. And he says that we must not think about these things so as to make, him, make them the one concern of our life. Whenever there is competition, be sure that you put your relationship to God first. It's a great statement. You know, we're so used to that practical consideration. I was talking to somebody last night. And um, we're just just talking about trusting God and situations and sometimes when God calls and things. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. We look at Paul. When God called him, separated him, when he got saved, what does he tell us? That he went to have a chat to people and said, you know, I think God's calling me into ministry. What do you think? No, no. We're told that Paul didn't consult with flesh and blood, didn't confer with flesh and blood. Why? Because he knew probably what the reaction would be. Oh, you, you shouldn't do that. No, don't do that. Oh, that would be dangerous. Well, you've got to think about your health. You've got to do this. You know, what about your family? You see, we have a, a very different way of looking at things than God does. <clears throat> Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. And I just remember this growing up. We had this on a plaque on our wall at home. And this is just from the Living Bible uh, paraphrase. It just says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs and don't forget to thank him for his answers. If you do this, you'll experience God's peace. What a great promise. Again, the, the King James translation, be anxious for nothing but in everything be prayer and supplication again. You know, just, just pray. Just go, to, go before God. Oh, what needless pain we bear because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. We sing it, don't we? But look at the promise there. If you do this, you'll experience God's peace. How many people in this world are just so twisted and chewed up and messed up in their hearts and minds because they just don't have peace because they don't take things to God. They don't know they can. And sadly, even Christians sometimes fall into that category. Another quote by Oswald Chambers. I love this. I think we've used this a number of times before. Suppose God is the God you know him to be when you are nearest to him. What an impertinent worry is. Let the attitude... Of the life be a continual going out, independence on God, and your life will have an ineffable charm about it, which is a satisfaction to Jesus. So I love that line that, you know, suppose God is the God you know Him to be. When you're closer to Him, when you're in a, a place where you're worshipping God, or everything's going well and wonderful, and you're praising God, that's what God's like all the time. Our circumstances, our situations, our mindset sometimes change, but what an impertinence worry is. God doesn't change. God is still the God that parted the Red Sea 
The God that stopped the mouths of the lions for Daniel. The God that enabled and strengthened young David to go and stand before this giant. Another great promise, Psalm 55, 22. Cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. What a promise that is. Cast thy burden upon the Lord. You know, if you've got burdens, that's the place to leave them. And we're told that God will sustain you. He's not going to allow the righteous to be moved, to be shaken. Another great promise, Psalm 119, verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Do we believe that? You know, do we actually actuate that in our lives by going to God's word and allowing it to be just that, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path? How many times do we have this kind of, oh, I'm not sure what I should do. Well, where should we go? God's word. Why? Because it tells us. God's word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. God will direct our paths. We've these wonderful promises. But the problem is we tend to put them to one side. It's kind of, well, we know, it's, it's a, again, I know it's kind of humorous, but the, the lady that underlines the promises in blue. You know, what do you do with the promises of God? I underline them in blue. That, that's sometimes what we reduce God's promises to. It's something that we know academically, but we don't really know them in our heart. But God's word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. You know, whenever we're uncertain about something, let's go to scripture. Let's just go. Not to read and you're going to get a kind of directions of do this, do this, do this. But just reading God's word just brings clarity. And it's, it's just so counterintuitive from a worldly perspective, but it does. Reading God's word, anything in God's word, just brings clarity. A great promise as well. God is good and does good. God has always promised in his word to do good because his very nature is goodness. So whenever we go through whatever situation, we know that God is good in what he's doing. But do we believe it? A promise I love. In Romans chapter 2 verse 11, we're just told that there is no partiality with God. That's a promise. God promises that he will show no partiality. See, God doesn't give special favours or blessings to others who are better than we are. What I mean by that is, you think of people like the Apostle Paul, or Peter, or David. God doesn't give them special dispensation. The same promises that they had are available to us. The same promises that enabled them to journey through life as they did, with such a confidence in God, are the same promises that you and I have. It's not as if God has given a special group of promises to the righteous ones and the ones that struggle every week and, you know, they have a difference. No, we've all got these same promises. This is just a wonderful statement that God doesn't show partiality. We can all share together in this abundance that God has given. It's like a a wonderful banqueting table laid out with the the most choice food you can imagine. It's all there for us to go and glean and take as much as we want. And when we're finished, go back for more. Sorry, I'm using a food analogy again. It just works with me, you know. But God is a God that is just, just... provides abundantly for us 
I want to just go through now and just, just look at some of these, just to try and remind ourselves. And these scriptures, I'm sure many of them will be familiar to us. But just to remind ourselves again of the promises that God has given. You know, for those who are tempted and tried. Psalm 119 verse 9 says, How shall a young man cleanse his way? It's by taking heed to thy word. God has promised that if we take heed to God's word, then our lives, our way, our walk will be cleansed. What a promise. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation is overtaking you, but such as is common to man. You know, you're not going to be tempted in a way that other people aren't. You're only going to go through the same kind of temptations and things that other people. God has promised that. And God is faithful, faithful who would not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're unable. Another, there's two promises so far in this, this verse. God won't allow you to be tempted beyond the point that you can cope with. But, another promise, here we go. But with the temptation, we'll provide the way of escape. And the fourth promise, so that you'll be able to endure it. What a, a fantastic group of promises regarding temptation. God has promised to provide everything we need to escape temptation and won't allow us to be tempted beyond the point that we're able. We're told also, whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. Is that a promise? Yes, it's a promise because God says anything that is born of him will overcome the world. Why? Because it's God who says it. God didn't consult us and ask us for our opinion on these things. Do you think you could do this? No, because it's of God. What is born of God overcomes the world. The new life that God has put within us will overcome the world. 1 John 2.13 I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. Is that a promise? Well, it is because John didn't know necessarily all the audience he's writing to. He's writing to people who he knows, by God's grace, because God's new life is in them, will overcome the wicked one. Yeah, we may struggle with sin. We may have problems from time to time. John will tell us again that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But ultimately, we have this promise that will be overcomers. By faith. Again, all these promises, by faith. I've written unto you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. 1 John 2, 14. You know, there is the faith element, of course, with all of these. Unless we have the faith to believe, unless we read God's word, believing these things, it won't have any effect in our lives. But if we do read God's word, then we're told that we'll we'll be strong. John 8.36 If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. You know, what a promise that is. Jesus has made us free. We've been let out of our prison cell, as it were, because on the door has been stamped, paid in full, and it's been stamped with the blood of Christ. Anybody that looks at us, any principality or power, anybody that comes now and challenges us, we're free. Our debt has been totally paid for by the blood of Christ. So there's no power in heaven or earth that can hold us now. We're free. We're told in Isaiah that the youths, even the youths, shall faint and be weary, and young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You know, the life that God has for us 
is a life of blessing, a life of abundance. Jesus himself says in John's Gospel that he came to give us an abundant life. Just a simplicity to that life of faith. And in Jude, verse 24, we read, Now to him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. What a promise that one is. So, if we're facing temptation, there's a bunch of promises there, just to remind us that we have the victory. We just need to claim it. We just need to, on the basis of faith, take that step. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It's not by a determined effort. It's not by a New Year's resolution. It's not by some sort of, you know, agreement that we're going to try and now do this and stop doing that or whatever else. The Lord makes it clear. It's not by might, not by power. It's not by anything that you can do. It's by his spirit. Just kind of let go and let God take over the, the steering wheel of your life. But there's a group of promises also for those that are heavy hearted. And that may this morning be you for whatever reasons. If it is, then we're told the Lord is near to them that are of a broken heart and save such as be of a contrite spirit. How comforting. We're told also, Peter quoting Psalm 55, we looked at earlier, but cast all your care upon him for he cares for you. You know, if you're going through a difficult situation, if you're in some sort of emotional turmoil for whatever reason, the Lord is near to you. He saves such as are of a contrite spirit. We're told that we can cast our care upon him because he cares for you. It doesn't matter about other people. God himself cares. That's the most important relationship. Matthew eleven twenty eight. we're told, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Sometimes we have those moments in our life and we just feel burdened by things. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. He heals the broken in heart and binds up their wounds. Psalm 147 verse 3. He heals the broken in heart. God cares about you. And he's given us these things. God didn't have to tell us these things. He could have just done it. But he's told us so that we can have confidence. So that we know that we should go to him. And find this comfort in him. You know, for those who are under kind of spiritual siege. If you feel that you're being oppressed by the devil. For whatever reason or situation, the angel of the Lord encamps round about them that fear him, that fear God, and delivers them. You know, you think just for a moment of all those situations in scripture where those great people of faith were delivered. Well, they were just like you and I. Just ordinary people, but they just trusted God. How many times were God's armies, God's people surrounded by the enemy? And God delivered them. Romans 8.31, if God be for us, who can be against us? Doesn't matter what the principalities and powers, those that are working for Satan, would try and tell us. If God is for us, sorry, God has already got the victory. Nobody is going to overcome God. James 4 verses 7 to 8, submit yourselves therefore to God. That's our part, in faith. Resist the devil, and then the promise, he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So our part, by faith, we just 
resist the devil, we draw close to God, and we're told that as a result, Satan is not given an option, he has to flee. God will draw near to us. You know, just thinking of that last one, Jesus in the, the wilderness, when he's tempted, he resists the devil. And the Lord allows angels to comfort him afterwards. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, you know, for those who are afflicted in whatever way. And there are many afflictions, many different types of afflictions that we go through. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Not most of them, but the Lord will deliver them out of, out, deliver us out of all the afflictions that we're in, if we just trust him. And then we're told in Second Corinthians 4.17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Paul says in the book of Romans, uh, chapter 8, verse 18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You see, again, these promises are the anchors for our soul. So that when we are afflicted, we're reminded of these promises. We're reminded that that which is going on is working a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. There's something so much better ahead of us. And that actually when we get there, the the trouble that we're experiencing now won't even be worth comparing. And the confidence that actually the Lord will deliver us out of all of them. It may not be in our timing. But we still have that promise that we can hold on to and we claim by faith. You know, for those that are serving God, and sometimes you can feel almost like a desert rose. You'll feel like you're alone, that you're on your own sometimes in serving. What we're told in Hebrews 6, 9 and 10, that God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name. It's a promise. God promises the fact that he's not going to forget the labor, the work that you put in. God won't forget the times that you spend on your knees interceding for your brothers and sisters in Christ. God won't forget the moments that you spend reaching out and witnessing to others. God won't forget the time that that you do things out of love and compassion for others for his name's sake. God won't forget those things. It's all worthwhile. Matthew 19 verse 29 says, And everyone that has forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. That's kind of a nice little bonus there at the end, isn't it? You know, God says, you know, you give up things for the sake of the kingdom, you're going to receive more back in this life. But even better than that, you're going to inherit everlasting life. What a great promise. You know, there shouldn't be any reason why we would uh, contemplate not giving up things for the kingdom. When we're given such a wonderful promise. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap. If we faint not, it's a promise of God that we will reap. So let's not get weary in doing things for the Lord. You know, if you're needing comfort, again, another area where there's multitude of promises. Hebrews 13, 5. I will never leave you or forsake you, says the Lord. Psalm 94, verse 14. For the Lord will not cast off his people, neither will he forsake his inheritance. Now, somebody may point out and say, oh, but that's to the Jews. Yes, it was to the Jews. But guess what? Paul tells us we've been grafted in. We've been grafted into that inheritance. The Lord will not cast off his people, neither will he forsake his inheritance. We've been grafted into that promise. What a blessing. Joshua 1.9 
Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever you go. What a great verse of comfort for us. Wherever you're facing in this coming week, God's never going to leave you. He won't cast you off. He's going to be with you wherever you go. God has given you that promise in his word. Psalm 23 verse 4. Yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Again, God promises never to abandon us, never to leave us. Whatever dark situations we end up finding ourselves in, for whatever reasons, God will be with us. And God will give us comfort. You know, if we're looking for peace because of whatever circumstances... We're told Isaiah 26 verse 3, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. Again, all of these promises, faith, is our access key, as it were, to unlock and benefit from these things. In John fourteen twenty seven, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, I give unto you. Uh, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. We're not talking about the worldly peace. The worldly peace typically is absence of conflict. That's not God's peace. God's peace is something so much better. God's peace is the idea that our debt has been paid in full and we have peace because now we don't owe anything. That's the real peace that we have in God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ. Another promise we have, Philippians 4, 7, that the peace that God gives is a peace that passes understanding. It's beyond the circumstances or the the magnitude of the circumstances. It will cope with anything. And it will keep our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. You know, if we're needing reassurance, we're told Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it, will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. What a great comforting verse. John 10, 27 and 28. Jesus said, There my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Paul says in Romans 8, 38-39, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature. I think there's anything you missed there, is there? That covers everything. None of those things shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, you read these things and you think, how on earth can we ever have times when we feel depressed or downhearted? Well, we've got these promises. But know that the Lord has set apart him that is goodly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. That's a lovely promise. The Lord has set apart him that is goodly for himself. You know, he's taken the choicest things. You know, you go... Forgive my food analogy again, but sometimes you know, you're at a family party, a wedding or something, and you go up to get food, and Joy sometimes gives me a plate and says, oh, can you get some for me? So I look at that, and I think, actually, that's, I'll have that one. And then, so I set apart that for me. And I, you know, We have this kind of, we set apart things sometimes that are precious to us or special to us. Well, God is saying that he's set apart him that is godly for himself. He's chosen you because he loves you, because he sees you as special. And then we're just told again, the Lord will hear when I call unto him. 
You know, if we need boldness, be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that does go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. You know, we live in a world that is very fickle, very subject to change. But God doesn't change. Joshua 23.10 says, One man of you shall chase a thousand, for the Lord your God is he who fights for you, as he has promised you. Psalm 18.29-30 reread, For by thee I have run through a troop, and by my God I have leapt over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in him. And Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. You know, we look at the world and look at the political scene and it can be very depressing in one sense. But then we look at scripture, Psalm 22, verse 28 says, For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. God's in charge. In Daniel, the Gentile king makes this statement. The Most High rules in the kingdom of man and gives it to whomsoever he will. So we look at what's going on. We don't need to worry. God's in charge. First Peter three twenty one and 22, we read, Jesus Christ who's gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. That's not just talking about worldly authority, that's talking about all power. Spiritual powers, worldly powers, all is subject to Jesus. We're also told that God will judge the wicked, because sometimes we get a bit downhearted when we see the wicked prospering. Well, we're told, I will not justify the wicked, in Exodus 23, verse 7. Psalm 32, 10, we're told, many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusts in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. And see, the wicked won't prosper in their way. We're told, Psalm 37, verses 9 and 10, For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For the upright shall dwell in the land, and the perfect shall remain in it, but the wicked shall be cut off from the earth, and the transgressors shall be rooted out of it. Another promise. Hang in there. It's worth it. That which is coming. That's Proverbs 2, 21 and 22. Proverbs four nineteen says, The way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. And Proverbs 10.27 says, The fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. You know, if you're needing forgiveness, if the Lord has brought you by his grace to that place of repentance, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord. And this promise there, look at this. And he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. How wonderful is that? And again, 1 John chapter 1 verse 9. If we confess our sin, look at the promise. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of these on the basis of faith. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. 
The whole idea of this dyeing process, the, the first part of it, you dip it, it would become like scarlet, then you dip it again uh, in the dye, and it would become like crimson. It's kind of doubly dyed wool is the, the idea here. And though it's so impregnated with this dye, naturally there's no way to cleanse it. God says, that's how your sins are, but they shall be cleansed totally as snow, as white as wool, pure. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And regarding our walk through life, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked things straight. These things will I do unto them and not forsake them. Again, a promise made to Israel. But you know what? We've been grafted in. We inherit these promises on the basis of faith also. God is the same yesterday, today and forever. There is no partiality. We can be blessed and benefit, become beneficiaries of these promises on the basis of faith. We're told in Proverbs chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, He lays up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. He keeps the paths of judgment and preserves the way of his saints. This is your God that does all of these things for you. Yeah, so whatever the circumstances, whatever the situation we face, we're told, Romans eight twenty eight. we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. What a wonderful, precious promise that is. Psalm 34 verse 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. God is never too busy. God is never so far away that he can't hear you when you cry out to him. We're told in scripture and in Psalms that our tears are recorded. You know, every part of our lives the Lord knows and cares about. And we so often live... As if these promises weren't there. We live as if we've got to try and figure things out ourselves. We live our lives as if we've got to solve our own problems. And God says, no, look, I've given you these promises. They're to be an anchor for your soul. They're to stop you getting blown around. They're to be something for you to aim for, knowing that there is something so much better ahead. That the life you're living now is worthwhile. Finally, Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David, of course, the author of this psalm, spent a lot of time with God. Interesting enough, we know we were talking over Christmas time about the Tower of Migdal, just outside Bethlehem. This tower that was used for the sheep that were to be raised and then used for sacrifice in the temple. And quite probably David was one of the shepherds that have looked after those sheep. Which kind of puts an interesting twist on the whole thing. That David was looking after those sacrificial lambs. And as he's sitting on those hillsides and contemplating his great God and saviour, He writes this, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. How can he say that? Because he knows that this isn't just his thoughts. This is God's promises. 
And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, ultimately that is where we will all be. Abiding and residing with the Lord. You know, these are just some of those promises. Hopefully this has been encouraging to see you this morning. It was encouraging for me going through this week just looking at these. I mean, there are so many more. But when we get challenged, when we next meet that obstacle in our way, I guarantee you there are promises in God's word that will just dissolve it. Let's bow our hearts. Father, we thank you. We're overwhelmed at the promises that you have given us. And Lord, we recognize that you didn't have to record these for us. You could have just carried them out by your goodness and grace and we'd have seen after the event. But Lord, you've given us these things that we know ahead of time. That you will never leave us or forsake because you are always there. That you love us, you care us. Lord, you have told us that we can cast our burden upon you. So Father, as we live our lives, help us to hold on to these promises with great joy and anticipation and expectation of all that is to come. And Lord, knowing that even now we are beneficiaries of so many of the promises that we read of in your word. Lord, every day we have the great blessing of your Holy Spirit, the one who was promised to be with us, to comfort us, to help us. And so, Lord, help us to continue to grow in knowledge, knowledge of your word, of your goodness, of your promises and grace. As we continue reminded of your unending riches that you've showered upon us. Lord, we thank you for these things. In Jesus' name. Amen.